You're listening to the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast with Joris Brion. Hey, this is Joris of the E-Commerce Excellence Podcast. And today I'm really excited to talk to David Hoffman. Uh, David is a serial entrepreneur and has built multi-million dollar companies. He has led the international trade powerhouse Global Regency as the CEO for over 15 years now. And he is considered an expert in uh, China sourcing, supply chain, uh, private label and brand licensing. And Global Regency services or licenses uh, famous brands and retailers like JVC, Cuisinart, Kmart, Walmart, Aldi, and many others. Um, in 2016, David launched GlobalTQM.com um, under the Global Regency umbrella because he saw an incredible opportunity to assist SMEs, startups, and entrepreneurs with quality management issues and sourcing from China. And they offer a range of educational and mentoring programs and actual done-for-you service. Um, so I'm sure this is going to be really interesting. Uh, David, welcome to the e-commerce excellent podcast. Uh, super happy to have you here. Hey, Joris. Thanks very much. And thanks for having me. Um, yeah, just to get started, um, I, I'd love for you to tell a bit more about your background. How did you get started? How did you, well, evolve to <laughs> this point in your in your career? Because it's been a long career uh, already. <laughs> Thank you, Joris. I'll try to keep it short. Um, I wish I could say it was all planned, but it wasn't. A lot of it was a series of events that led me on the journey. Um, so, you know, I think any entrepreneur takes opportunities when they presented with them and your personal circumstances, you know, guard your choices and hopefully the path becomes a good positive one along the way. I started in retail in South Africa, where I come from, um, where we, I worked for a company that had a lot of retail stores selling consumer electronics. And that was really the platform where I learned about retail industry selling and consumer electronics and i grew through the ranks in that company until about 16 years ago when i got the opportunity to come live in hong kong and china and doing the sourcing and quality control and that's really when i started branching out into my own entrepreneurial journey from there which has led to a number of different opportunities Okay, so when when did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Because you started out working for someone else, and 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 you even moved to Hong Kong for them. At, one, at what point did you know, like, okay, this is what I want to do? I want to be an entrepreneur. Joris, I always knew that I didn't want to work for someone. That was kind of um, something I always knew about myself. And um, you know, working was a means to earn money and get experience. So mm -hmm. it was always my desire. I didn't know it would work out that way, but it, it's certainly what I wanted. So a lot of the decisions I made were always focused around, you know, the level of independence those opportunities brought me and the opportunity to, you know, be financially independent. Mm -hmm. Okay. So from those early uh, years in, in South Africa, that working experience, um, how well, what have you learned that you could use later uh, when, when you started on your own? <laughs> Some, the grass is not greener on the other side. <laughs> um, okay. That's you work a, a lot harder when you work on your own. I mean, mm -hmm. I have a business partner and, you know, I mean, I don't think you ever work completely on your own. You always got surrounded by people in your life and in your business that you work with. Um, but you work a lot harder and, you know, the stakes are always a lot higher and there's no, there's no fallback, right, where you can say, mm -hmm. oh, well, regardless of my performance, you know, there's still a company that I work for that does well and 
and paying my salary or my bonuses, you kind of realize, oh, if this doesn't work, I'm dead. What do I do next? So Mm -hmm. it kind of lights a fire in you that really makes you go all out and work 10 times harder than if you're working for someone. So, you know, people sometimes say, oh, I'd like to work for myself and have that independence. You know, I'm so tired of working for someone. And I go, well, (laughs) the grass isn't going on the other side. It's going to be a lot harder. But it, it is ultimately worth it. Yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to that. I mean, usually uh, when people start on the entrepreneurial journey, it's uh, either to get more freedom or to get more money and preferably a combination of both, of course. Um, and then it turns out like it's it's a lot of work. And uh, I mean, there's most of us probably have read the four hour work week. And I don't personally, I don't know anyone who managed to has to have a, a four hour work week. Uh, it's like it's a lot of work, right? Yes, absolutely, mm. I, I, exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah. if anybody's read the four hour work week, there are great ways to delegate things, but on the line of you're in, you know, if you're in a business space where automation can run a lot of business, it helps. But um, certainly at the early stages, it requires time and energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the four-hour work week is more a book on productivity and efficiency than on really reducing your number of hours to four. Uh, but anyway, that's a totally different discussion. So um, you, yeah, so you, you're active in China. A lot of uh, e-commerce uh, owners they import from China or want to import from China. What are some hidden risks of importing from China, Joris? When you're importing from China, um, there's loads of hidden risks in terms of product quality and product pricing and knowing what you're getting. Not that those characters aren't inherent anywhere else, but I think when you're dealing with China, um, there's so many different levels and standards of manufacturing. And, you know, depending on which manufacturer you're dealing with, knowing the level of what they can produce and the materials they use and the shortcuts they may or may not take are all factors that you don't have to necessarily think about doing manufacturing in other countries. Um, so you've got to tread with a lot of caution. There are unfortunately a lot of scammers out there where they take your money, take your deposits, don't deliver goods on time or deliver an inferior quality product. So you've got to do a lot more work behind the scenes to validate and qualify what you're going to get and who you're dealing with. And I think that's, people underestimate that. Mm-hmm. And and how do you find a good supplier, a good manufacturer? Because, I, I mean, there's always a language barrier. Uh, and, yeah. and and then on top of that, you're sometimes you're like thousands of miles away from China and you have to trust somehow whether it's going to be a good supplier or not. And that's really hard to do, I can imagine. Yeah. It, yeah, and, and language and barrier and distance are, are two critical barriers um so there isn't a short answer to it how, how do, it's how do you find any good relationship i think you you start a relationship with good intentions mm-hmm. and you nurture that relationship over time and i think just by um you know you, you judge a relationship on how well they communicate with you how well you communicate with them the responsiveness um the performance you do a lot of sampling um, and you slowly build a relationship. And, and if, if there's a pattern of, um, of communication issues or quality issues um, or, or commitments not being met, you start realizing it's not a good relationship. But if there's a pattern of some positives and a willingness to do things right, you, you go deeper into that relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there isn't really a short answer, you, but I, I do say, you know, a lot of sampling, a lot of checking, a lot of cooperation. Um, don't leave things to the manufacturers to do on their own. You've got to check things every step of the way. And if you own that responsibility, you know, it makes for a better relationship. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then what would be like a, a, a good starting point for someone who is considering to uh, import from China? I always recommend um, visiting China is a good starting point and attending a trade show mm-hmm. because I think it opens up your eyes to the reality and scale of what's going on out here. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you an opportunity to meet a ton of suppliers under one roof without having to travel massive distances between them. Um, so from a productivity perspective, it's great. And um, from an exposure perspective, it's great. And then if you've got time, you start visiting the factories and understanding how they work and operate. But I just think a trade show is a great starting point to, um, to really take a big jump into the world of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Any, any trade shows in particular? I can imagine it really depends on, on the product you uh, want to source. Depends on the product category. There are a couple of big ones in China, like the Canton Fair, which mm-hmm. they hold twice a year in um, in April and in October, which is in Guangzhou in China. And the Canton Fairs actually spread over a three-week period because each phase, phase one, two, and three, is is held for one week and they cover like a huge range of product categories or industries actually, if to be more specific. And I think any product category you're interested in, you'd probably find at one of the phases of a Canton Fair. So I, to me, that's a great one to get started at. You almost, okay. If you had to choose one, that would be the one I would recommend to everyone. Okay, cool. So let's say we you walk around the trade show, you start talking to some suppliers. What are some good questions to ask a supplier to see if it's going to be a good one? Well, I think, I mean, ultimately you want to understand a little bit about their background, who they manufacture for. Um, mm-hmm. and what they like manage what brands they manufacture for what countries they export to because and you know every country's got its own regulatory requirements or um, compliance requirements and it's easier to work with a manufacturer who has some experience with what your requirements are going to be um, and then ultimately you do want to talk to them about their product mm-hmm. understanding the minimum order quantities they're willing to accept getting an idea for the products they're producing, the materials, the finishes they can do, and, of course, getting pricing and container loadings because you want to be able to calculate, you know, if a product's feasible or not. So you do need to get into the discussion of pricing so you can work out what it's going to cost you to land the product and if you're going to be able to sell it for a profit or a margin. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. you don't want to spend too much time there. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> of course, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, the, of course, it's also like the cultural aspect. Um, are there any rules that people should know when they do business in China? Yes means doesn't mean yes. It can mean no. <laughs> yes okay. is a polite way of just agreeing with your question. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, yes, yes. So culturally, the, culturally, the Chinese don't like to say no. So they'll say yes and they'll try their best and it doesn't necessarily mean they can do it. Um, And and I think the language barrier really is important to understand the difference because, you know, I hear people go to suppliers and talk in a very complicated English 
or sometimes they explain things, you know, in a way that the supplier just doesn't really understand. So just to slow it down, have the suppliers repeat things back to you, confirm it all in writing later is important. Um, but the language barrier and cultural barrier is important to understand. You know, they're not, it's not an aggressive um, climate. It's, it's more of a, a, it's a relationship. You know, they have to like you, you have to like them. And then there's a willingness to help you and support you. So, you know, building that relationship is very important to get cooperation. Okay. To me, that sounds like really confusing. A yes is not always a yes. Do you, by now, I mean, yeah. you've been there a long time. Have you found like a way to detect when you're saying yes, but actually meaning no? Yes, we put it in, a, in writing and we mm -hmm. ask them to sign it off in our purchase orders. And then if it's, and then when they don't, when they don't want to sign it back, we know they didn't really mean it. Okay, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good one. Honestly, <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> okay, yeah. But there's no easy way to detect when they're saying to your face, like, yes, and you spot like, mm, okay, that's no, not a yes. You, yes. You, you can't tell. You, you've just got to work with them, get lots of samples, see if they can really do what they say they can do. Okay, yeah, I can imagine that's uh, that's difficult for a for a first timer who who wants to navigate his way around suppliers. It, 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 it is, and that's why the more you understand about the factory and can see the products they're already producing and get samples, you know, hopefully you you go where it feels like it's going to be easiest for you to communicate and the product's already close to what you want. You don't want you know you, your your goal is not to educate manufacturers how to produce the product. You want to just try find people who have already got a certain competence. Um, but that's why it's it's hard work. You know, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs until you find your princes or princesses. Yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, not, not an easy, not in, an easy task. Um, <laughs> do you have like any horror stories of uh, businesses that, you know, that tried sourcing from China and it went horribly wrong? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> we still have some time, so go ahead. <laughs> Joris, the whole reason I came to Hong Kong 16 years ago with an intention to stay for one year, and the reason I ended up staying here 16 years was I just realized if we were going to be successful in the product business and importing from China, we have to have a physical presence on the ground here just because mm -hmm. of so many issues, whether it's quality problems, wrong plugs, wrong colors, containers shipping half empty. Um, there's just so many things that can go wrong. Packaging's incorrect, artwork's incorrect. Um, you know, products don't meet a certain standard. A, a lot a lot can go wrong. So mm -hmm. being on the ground here has really been one of our recipes to success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> That's a huge difference. Uh, if you have to rely on uh, a manufacturer you've never really worked with before and you're really far away, don't I, you, they said yes, but they actually meant no, then a lot can go wrong. Uh, a lot can go yeah. wrong. And sometimes, to be honest, the mistakes come from your side. You think mm -hmm. you explain something clearly and it could be, you know, it could be quite um, subjective. You know, if you said, you know, I produce this in green, and mm -hmm. you show them a color sample of green by email, you know, green, you know, green can look very different on different monitors and mm -hmm. it's very subjective, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't know, oh, I should have specified the Pantone color, you know, you can't really blame them, but you do blame them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, they're, they're not mind readers. So it, it all starts with you. If you it, exactly. uh, get, yeah, have the right uh, specs that, then and, and are really clear about everything, then you can avoid uh, some yeah. of the mistakes, I can imagine. It, it's what I call attention to detail.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean that's that's not just in China. I mean, if you uh, source from anywhere else, you have to be clear about that as well, I guess. Exactly, and I think one of the communication barriers comes in that you know some places would, if you said oh, I want it in green, they would say, "Can you please what color? Which green would you like?" They come back with the right question. Whereas here, if you don't specify, they may not they may not prompt you for the accuracy they're looking for. They might say, okay, sure, well, send me a picture and I'll do it and I'll try and match it as closely as possible rather than mm-hmm. saying, can you please provide me a Pantone color? So mm-hmm. you know, it's just those little things. It's a two-way street. Right, yeah. And is that a cultural thing that maybe they don't want to bother you too much with too much questions and, and they just guess? No, what I, I, think, I think it's just circumstantial. You know, mm. do they have the experience to ask it or do they not have this experience to ask it? Um, you know, they are getting more and more mature now, the manufacturers. They are starting to ask these questions. Um, but they also expect that if the buyer has a requirement, they'll make it clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, of course. Um, yeah. Apart from the horror stories and everything that can go wrong, any success stories of businesses migrating to China manufacturing, pros or cons of, of such a move? Well, I, th- I think our whole, I think, yeah, with all the, the, the potential risks involved, um, we still fundamentally here doing it, and that's because we can, you know, source and develop products at a much lower cost. And when you do put the right attention into the details, you know, you end up with a great selling opportunity, and you've got a product in the market that sells well. You make a good margin, and you know that's what the business is all about. It's the only reason you do it at the end of the day. So, um, you know, we've by having a physical presence in China, we've managed to launch whole businesses off the backbone of being able to find, source, and develop product quickly. So, um, you know, as hard as it may be and with all the risks involved, if it didn't make sense, we wouldn't be doing it. So you do right. have to do it. Yeah, of course. Um, like, if, if you would start over again in your entire career, and that can be apart from your current business, but what would you do differently? I think there would be two key things from the start and outset for me that would make a big difference i only do something that i'm absolutely passionate about that mm-hmm. i you know that when i wake up every day I, i'm so passionate about it that it doesn't feel like work um and i would just choose the people i deal with and work with a lot more wisely and just deal with only people that are like top players in their in their space it mm-hmm. saves you a lot of time and effort and mistakes yeah, I think uh, a lot of people uh, go through that hiring uh, the wrong people, and, and and just to realize that they they should have invested a little bit more in uh, someone better. Uh, that would have saved them a lot of money in the end, right? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and what's like the biggest mistake you made? Is that also related to hiring people or something else? Um, yeah, I think sometimes just hanging on too long. You know, you got to cut your losses quicker if something's not working, mm-hmm. um, and and try you know you can't what they say the expression you can't extract water out of a rock sometimes Uh you get too attached to something or you've been working so hard on it that it's hard to let it go so i think you know cutting losses quicker and moving on to the next thing quicker is probably you know a big lesson i've learned over the last couple of years yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice uh, to, well, to wrap it up. Uh, this has been uh, really great, and, and I'm sure we could go on for a, a lot more time, but we're running out of time. And uh, yeah, I just want to make sure, um, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? What's the best place to do that? 
So if people want to um, talk to us, we normally start anything with a call. So our website is globaltqm.com. And if they go to our website, there's a schedule a call button and they, or there's nice. a form they can fill out to tell us what type of product they're looking for. But the easiest is to schedule a call and you know, then we talk about where they're at on their sourcing journey or what kind of services they need on the ground in China because we love to help entrepreneurs um, starting up in the space you know, access our resource on the ground in China and get them going sourcing, developing products. Um, and that's the best way, schedule a call. What they can do if they hear this interview is they can always, when they schedule the call, they can just put in the notes there that um, um, they can mention the podcast name and, and they can mention that they want to speak to David. And I'll personally take those calls um, because, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking to entrepreneurs and identifying how we can help them. Awesome. Awesome. Great. And we'll put that link in the show notes, by the way. Uh, thank you so much for being Excellent. here, David. It's been absolutely great. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Joris. And I hope I can come back soon. The e-commerce excellence podcast is sponsored by Dexter.agency. We help e-commerce business owners scientifically increase revenue without needing more traffic. Ready to discover a more reliable way to increase conversion and, more importantly, revenue? Register for our free training, The 5 Transformations That Double E-Commerce Profits, at dexter.agency webinar.